All right, as Benger said, uh, my name is Jared. I'm a pastor in Rhode Island. Um, Josh and I grew up together in Illinois. I've known him for so long. He's one of my best friends in the whole wide world, and uh, it is so good to be here. Um, Josh and I are a part of this really special group of friends. There are four guys who grew up together. We went to high school together, played football. But the most important thing that we shared together is that we were a part of a student ministry uh, during the formative years of high school, and we are still in close contact with each other. We actually live in four different time zones. So scheduling a, uh, a phone call is the most challenging part of our relationship. But um, we had this sweet time together this, uh, just this last week. Our four families converged from our, our different places uh, at the YMCA of the Rockies, same place that the student ministry was hanging out this last week. We didn't plan that. Um, but we got to hang out. And uh, between the four families, there are 12 kids, ranging from 6 to 15. And what was really cool is as soon as we arrive, we realize that even though our families don't get to spend a whole lot of time together, and even though like as parents, we don't know the, the kids from the other families all that well, there is this immediate love that we have for the kids from the other families because of the love that we have for one another like, that, that was formed over years. And I share this because I feel the same way about this church. Like, we live in Rhode Island, I'm thousands of miles away. I haven't had much of an opportunity to spend time with many of you, but upon arrival, there is an immediate affection that I have for you because you are the church that, that my dear friend serves. And, uh, and so I just love you uh, from a distance. I pray for you. I, I delight in the joys and the, uh, the victories that you all experience, and it is a privilege to be here today. Also, you have a great pastor. Uh, I love Josh. He is a dear friend. He has shaped my faith in many ways, and so uh, I'm just really thankful that you all have such a, a godly man and a godly family uh, to lead you all. Thanks for giving him a sabbatical, too. I know he needs it. And uh, I'm actually on sabbatical, too, right now, although it doesn't look like it in this moment. Um, but we are, uh, it was kind of cool after years of ministry, our sabbaticals aligned so we could spend some time together, which is really, really cool. So I want to take a minute to pray, and then we'll jump into uh, the message for today. Father God, we, uh, we love you. Thank you for the way that brothers and sisters in Christ from across the country and across the world can delight in the gospel together. We can rejoice in the good work you are doing here, there, and everywhere. And uh, Holy Spirit, I pray now in this moment that you would open our hearts to your word. As we declare that Jesus is our king, we agree that his word commands our lives. So help me to teach faithfully from it today. Holy Spirit, add your wisdom and power to my words, which would be ordinary and ineffective on their own. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm jumping into the series called Kingdom Wisdom. Um, beginning a few weeks ago, you are in a series called, uh, called Kingdom Wisdom from the book of Proverbs. I love the book of Proverbs. Um, Solomon, king of Israel, is kind of known, he has this reputation for being the wisest person ever to live. He had one opportunity to ask God for anything, and he asked for wisdom. And God gave him this, this special wisdom to share with other people, to lead and to influence. And so toward the end of his life, Solomon chose to write down like all the wisdom that God had given him in this book. And if you read chapter one of the book of Proverbs, you'll hear him address it to his son. It's like this, this aging father who wants to pass on the wisdom from God to his son about all of life. So it's this treasure we have in scripture that can guide us and influence us according to the wisdom of God. And so we, we can turn to it for, for wisdom for all kinds of things in our lives. And today, we are going to focus specifically on God's wisdom for how we use our words. So <laughs> words are a huge part of our life. 
right? We, we use them to communicate in pretty much every aspect of life. So you could think spoken word, written word, text, emails, social media. We interact with people all throughout our day. And it is estimated the average person communicates in some form uh, over 700 times a day. And th- that may be like an old and lower estimate than what it is now with the proliferation of different forms of media and communication. So words are a huge part of our lives. In addition to that, they are a powerful part of our life. Words shape the world, right? They convey ideas, they express emotion, they form relationships, for better or for worse. Like you think that some wars were started by words, peace was declared by words. You think about scripturally, the the world was created with words. Promises were made and kept with words. Jesus healed with words. Like words carry such an inherent power. And when you look at our lives, you look at your life, there are relationships that started because of words. Um, Unfortunately, there are probably relationships that ended because of words. Words are often the best part of your day when they're used for good, whether it's from a spouse or a child or a parent, a coworker that, that, that appreciates your work, maybe, maybe at home, it's appreciation expressed by, by a family member for, for something that you did. Like Words can be the best part of your day, but words can also be the worst part of your day, right? So, so words are incredibly powerful. I'm guessing if you looked back over just this last week, you, you would think of moments when you wish you used your words differently, right? There's a moment of frustration or impatience, again, within your family, at your workplace, even within your church. And so for me, as I, you know, we, we walk through this time of confession as a part of our service, like I have worked with the Holy Spirit really hard to root out some patterns of sin in my life, but the reality is when it comes to times of confession, a lot of my confession has to come back to the words that I use. And so we need God's wisdom to shape how we use our words. We need to be mindful of how they impact the people around us. And so we're going to turn to several passages in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs has a lot to say about this topic. In fact, there are almost 90 verses in the book of Proverbs that address the words that come out of our mouths. That's more than any subject other than sex. And I'm a little upset that Josh didn't ask me to preach about that, but I'll settle for words, okay? So we're going to talk about that. Now, with, with a subject that is so broad in this book, it's, we obviously can't cover it all. And so I've tried to, to, to uh, break it up into really two themes that fit within the larger message of the book of Proverbs. So as Solomon is conveying God's wisdom to his son and eventually to anyone who would read it, there's, there's this pattern that you would notice, that there are these two paths that are laid out in the book of Proverbs. And we are told one leads to life and the other leads to death. The one who walks the path that leads to life is called the wise person, and the, the person who walks the path that leads to death is called a fool, okay? We want to be wise. We don't want to be a fool. And, and this same kind of pattern applies to the way that we use our words. Our words carry us and others toward either life or death. Check this out. And the overall theme for this message is, is simply this. Our words have the power to give life or to take it away. You can think about your life. The way that you use words, our words have the power to either give life or take it away. 
Proverbs 18, 21 is the theme verse for this week. And it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can cause people to feel full of life or you can cause people to feel like life has been taken from them simply by the words you use. Do you not agree that this is true? All right, so we're going to look at Proverbs and try to learn how to give life with our words rather than take it away. But before we do, there's this simple principle that I, I hope you can agree with me on. And this isn't coming out of Proverbs. It's just the experience of life. It's this. Our words have the greatest impact on the people closest to us. Our words have the greatest impact on the people closest to us. This may seem so obvious to you that it doesn't even deserve to be mentioned, but the problem is that we often live as if the opposite is true. Let me ask this. Who gets the best of your words and who gets the worst? Isn't it true that the people closest to you often get the worst from your mouth? That I, I can find myself being so guarded, so cautious, so careful with my words whenever I'm in public, whenever I'm around the church, whenever I'm around people that really aren't that close to me. But when I am comfortable at home, when I'm tired, when it's the end of a long day, when my kids are honestly driving me nuts a little bit, like they get the worst of my mouth, right? And so we just need to begin with this understanding that our words, for better or worse, impact the people closest to us most. So if you are married, if you have children, if you live within a, uh, an extended family unit, the, the people that you interact with at work every day, the people in your path group, they are the ones who are most impacted by your words for life or for death. And when we recognize that, the hope is that that increases our awareness of how we use our words, that we would be a life-giving presence in our families, in our churches, in our places of employment or school, that the people around us might get the best from us, that our words might give them life. So to that end, we're going to start by listening, by hearing the cautions given from the book of Proverbs for how not to use our words, okay? So how many of you have ever had the wind knocked out of you? Anybody? I remember the first time it happened. I was six years old. I had just learned to ride my bike. I was at my cousin's house biking on a gravel road. I turned too quickly. The back wheel kicked out and I fell flat on my back and I thought I had died. Remember that? I remember watching it happen to my son for the first time. He was on the monkey bars. He was trying those. And instead of doing it normally, like starting with the first one and going one at a time, he took a flying leap toward one in the middle. And he grabbed it, but his momentum took him, his feet swung out, his grip loosened, and he fell flat on his back. He sat up, looked at me with terror-filled eyes, like, Dad, what just happened? Like, it's a terrible feeling. But the reality is that our words can leave people with the same impact. It's almost the same look. Maybe you've seen it before, where something comes out of your mouth, and whether it's a spouse or a child or a friend or someone else, like, you just know in that moment that you have knocked the wind out of them. Our, our words are just that powerful. So we want to turn to the book of Proverbs to ask, how can we avoid doing that to the people around us? We should refuse to use words that take life from others. We just resolve now. Like, I don't want to be the kind of person that knocks the wind out of the people I love with the words that I use. So here's what Proverbs says. Our words take life from others when they are one of these four things. 
And, and these may not all apply to you. And so my, my challenge or encouragement to you is this, to ask this question, what is true? What is true about the words that I use? Okay. Our words take life from others when they are careless. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says this, there is one whose rash words are like a sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So another translation of the Bible uh, replaces the word rash with reckless. Okay, so this is not that you set out to actually wound someone. Like you, you are mean-spirited, you are hateful, you are just trying to inflict pain. Careless or reckless words are words spoken without consideration for how they might impact the people around you. It's that you, you are just kind of swinging and, and carelessly hitting the people around you. So I have two boys. Josh and Desiree have two boys. We have watched our two boys delight, or our four boys delight in playing with each other throughout the week. The most common theme in their play is that they love to use or create weapons. If any of you have boys, you know what I'm talking about. And so like there was often a stick that was a sword in their hand or an actual like play sword or a bow and arrow or something. And here's what happens when four boys are playing together with weapons. Someone gets hit, right? Like all the time. There was almost always someone who was yelling about getting hit or crying and screaming from the trampoline, like something was happening, right? And it's not that our boys hate each other, they're mean-spirited, it's that in, in, in the energy of playing together, they became careless with how they were swinging the lightsaber or the sword or how they were shooting the arrow, and someone gets hit. I think to give us the benefit of the doubt, I don't think that we always intend to harm people with our words, but when words are careless, they hurt. We don't think about how they impact the other people around us. This is true of how we interact on social media. There are times where you will log on to social media to post something simply because you want to say it, right? And you lose sight of how it's going to impact people who read it or how you comment on it. Same, same could be said of words exchanged among friends or family members. Like we're, we're trying to say what we feel like we need to say without considering how it might impact the people around us, and careless words take life from others. They hurt. And so if we want to be people who don't do that, we need to be cautious with our words. Another thing that comes out as we look at the book of Proverbs is that our words take life from others when they are impulsive. Proverbs 29 verse 20 says this, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. I think we could all relate to being hasty with our words at times. It's when we don't take time to choose our words cautiously. They just flow out of the, the emotion of the moment. This could manifest itself through defensiveness, through anger, through reaction or emotion. Like somebody does something, evokes something in us. Instead of taking a step back, taking a breath, and choosing our words cautiously, we just let them fly. And it says, there's more hope for a fool than for one who speaks in haste. You can probably relate to that to some degree. Most of the words we regret didn't come out slowly and carefully, right? They come out quickly and unrestrained. When our words are hasty, when our words are impulsive, they do harm to the people around us, right? Another one. Proverbs also tells us that our words take life from others when they are harsh. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, 
but a harsh word stirs up anger. Harsh is the opposite of gentle. It's abrasive rather than smooth. When our friends got together this week, we were playing gaga ball and volleyball in the sand pits, and the sand was not the like, sweet, fine sand of the Florida coast. It was like mixed with gravel. And so within three minutes of playing a game, we had three bloody knees because harsh things are hurtful things, right? And you know that with, with harsh words, with coarse, rough words, you do harm to the people you love. They just come out. This is, I, I remember my mom telling me over and over again, it's not what you say, it's what? It's how you say it, right? Harsh words are hurtful words. When, when you react, when you are defensive, when your tone just pierces, it creates wounds. So if we want to be people who don't take life from others when, when we speak to them, we've got to be cautious not to use harsh words. Where does this appear? Where are you most likely to be harsh with your words? Is it within your family? Is it with your kids? Is it with your spouse? Is it with your coworkers when they're demanding something? Is it at school? Like, where is it? Harsh words are hurtful words. They take life from others. Finally, the last caution that Proverbs gives us is this. Our words take life from others when they are dishonest. Proverbs 26, 28 says this, a lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruin. I appreciate how this proverb expands our understanding of dishonesty. It's not just telling a lie or concealing the truth, but it could be manipulating the truth as well through flattery or other other forms of manipulation. Here's the idea. Relationships are established on the basis of trust. Right? And there are a lot of ways that our words can erode that trust. When we speak things that are false, when we conceal what is true, when we manipulate or twist for our own benefit. And this kind of use of words undermines all good relationships in any capacity. So here's what I want to ask. Okay? If you were to be painfully honest about the words you use, do you see any of these patterns emerge? Are there any ways that your words are any of these things? Are your words careless, impulsive, or dishonest? What is true about the words that you speak? And how do they impact the people closest to you? So just start there by being honest about that. We don't want to knock the wind out of the people around us. And so we've got to listen to the wisdom of Proverbs, the wisdom of God, to be honest about the words that we speak. So God never just wants us to avoid doing harm, though. He wants us to pursue doing good. So it's not just that we try to avoid knocking the wind out of people, not that we avoid trying to take life from the people around us. Instead, we want to give life to people through the words we use. And so to turn the corner and to hear the wisdom and the counsel of Proverbs, says this in chapter 16, verse 24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and healthy to the body. It says like word, words can be, the right words at the right time can be like honey to the soul. Now honey back then in that part of the world and in that time was the sweetest thing they know. They had not discovered high fructose corn syrup yet, all right? And so this is like the, the sweetener of the day. They used it sparingly, and they delighted in it. And what this is saying is the sweetest thing we know, words can be like that. 
Maybe like that delectable treat that you delight in. I mean, maybe you have this, like, this go-to treat that you just enjoy so much that when you have it sparingly, it just brightens your day. So I've listened to Josh preach enough to know that there is something that is pretty close to the gospel, and that is the peanut butter pocket from Stan's Donuts. I don't know if you've been around long enough to hear him talk about that, but as our, my, our family was trekking from Rhode Island to Utah across the country, we stopped in Chicago for a night, and I got my daughter up early that morning to go and get the peanut butter pocket from Stan's Donuts, and it is good. I don't think it's as good as the blueberry glaze old-fashioned from Stan's Donuts, but it is really, really good. And I'll tell you what, a good donut or a good scoop of blacksmith ice cream, by the way, if you are new, just fill out the sinking card so you get the ice cream, okay? It's worth it. But like the right treat can change your day, right? It is like, man, joy to your soul. And, and what the, the writer of Proverbs says is that the right words at the right time are like honey to the soul, right? They give life. They have the power to give life to the people around you. So we ought to examine the book of Proverbs to ask what kind of words give life to others. Here's what we learn. Our words give life to others when they are encouraging Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25 says this, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. I think sometimes we have a superficial understanding of what encouragement is. We think of it as like compliments or affirmation, but to give encouragement is to strengthen and give, give someone the strength and courage they need to keep doing what is good in the eyes of the Lord. Like your words have the power to lift someone up so that they don't grow weary in doing good. You know, as we were together with these dear friends, these lifelong friends, I got to see their character in their kids because of the way that they're choosing to, to prioritize the gospel in their families, because of the way that they're leading toward Jesus. Their kids have this beautiful character, this consistency. And so at the end of the week, I just wanted to go around to each of these friends of mine and say, hey, I see what you're doing with your kids keep doing it. You are a good dad. Don't grow weary. Because being a good dad is hard, right? Prioritizing the discipleship of your family is hard. It's exhausting at times. But I see this in these men whom I love, and I wanted to speak words of life to them, so I encourage them in this way that honors Jesus. Your words can have that power when you take time to affirm what is good in your children, in your spouse, in your coworkers. When you sit around your past group and you see something worth honoring, you speak words of encouragement to give them the strength and the courage to keep doing what is good in the eyes of the Lord. Your words have power. Your words give life when they are encouraging. Proverbs also tells us that our words give life to others when they are self-controlled. This one's hard for me. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 21 says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. That instead of being impulsive, reactionary with our words, we are self-controlled with our words. When we choose carefully what we say and how we say it, we are often better positioned to give life with the words that come from our mouth. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote in chapter 1, verse 19, he said, Be quick to listen. Anybody know this? Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Like we, our, our best words are rarely the words that fly freely and quickly from our mouths. Our best words are often the ones that, that are spoken carefully, cautiously, deliberately with self-control. 
So where do you need to apply more self-control in the words that you speak? Moments of exasperation with your children? First words when you walk through the door after a long day of work? At work, when tensions are high, time is short, when you can slow down just long enough to give the Holy Spirit that space he needs to direct your heart toward words of life, words of self-control, give life to the people around you. We also hear this, our words give life to others when they are timely. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 23 says, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season, oh, how good it is. The idea is this, when you give the word that is needed at just the right time, it gives life to someone. So it's not, not giving joy when someone is grieving or grieving when someone is rejoicing, but instead knowing the people around you well enough to know what they need when they need it. And then you speak to that. You celebrate. You give counsel. You give encouragement. You grieve together. Or at times, you stay silent. It's knowing what people need at just the right time so that you speak into it just as they need. Timing matters. And finally, our words give life to others when they are wise. Proverbs 13, 14 says, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. Do you hear that? The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. So think about this again, this picture of these two paths that diverge. Okay, you're standing here. You got two paths. One leads to life, one leads to death. One is characterized by obedience to the words and the wisdom of the Lord, and the other is characterized by the rejection of the wisdom of the Lord. Your words have the power to point people in one of those two directions. When you use wisdom from God to counsel, to coach, to teach, to correct or rebuke the people around you, you are using words to direct them in the way of life according to what is good in the eyes of the Lord. You should do that as a spouse. You should do that as a parent. You should do that as a friend. When you see something in someone, you go, hey, I know what the word of God says about this, and I love you enough to tell you the truth. I want to use my wise words to point you toward life in your singleness, in your sexuality, in your finances, in your work, in your marriage, in your parenting. Like when you have wisdom that would serve someone else well and you have the courage and the compassion to share it, you become part of the reason they keep walking the way of life. That's how powerful your words are. So we, we see these two paths and we know that our words can either give life to the people around us or they can take life from the people around us, especially those closest to us. If we open up the book of God's wisdom and allow it to shape how we speak, we will find that our words start to move people toward the way of life. So I started by asking this question, what is true of your words? But this is the second question, what needs to be true of your words? Again, don't, don't be so harsh to yourself that you are looking at all of these and, and applying them all to yourself, but choose one, like what is true about your words that sometimes takes life from people? What do you want to be true 
of words that give life to others? Do your words need to be more encouraging? Do they need to be more self-controlled? Do they need to be more timely or wise? See, if you could identify just one of those attributes and strive toward that, how much more life would you give to the people around you? Here's the problem, though. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, have set out to do better with your words, and in just a day or two, you have failed? You're like, I've got to stop saying stuff like that. Like, I've got to be more patient with my kids. I want to be more gentle with my wife. I, like, man, I, I live this. But if it's a matter of my own will, I cannot change what comes out of my mouth. Anybody else? It's because what comes out of my mouth flows from my heart. Listen to the words of Jesus. This is where we're going to end today. Luke chapter 6, verse 43 says this. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from a bramble bush. A good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasures produced in... Sorry. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For listen to this. For out of the abundance or overflow of the heart... The mouth speaks. What comes out of your mouth reveals what's in your heart. And so as we hear the wisdom of the Lord about what comes out of our mouths, it becomes convicting because what comes out of our mouth reveals what lives in our hearts. And I'm telling you, you cannot change your own heart. And you cannot change the heart of the person sitting next to you right now. Only Jesus can do that. So when we examine our words, the question is, what do your words reveal about what's buried in your heart? Does it draw you into a greater dependence on the Holy Spirit to reshape you from the inside out? If so, the response is not to try harder, to resolve, to do better, but to say, Jesus, I know that what lives in my heart comes out of my mouth. Will you please renew my heart? Talk about our words. It brings us back to the Bible. We desperately need Jesus. We cannot be the people we want to be. We cannot speak the words we want to speak without the gospel reshaping us. And so the best purpose that this message could serve is to highlight the words you speak to show you the condition of your heart so that you might draw nearer to Jesus and depend on him. So I want to give you just a moment to ask this question. What is true of my words and what needs to be true of my words? What is true and what needs to be true? And then how does that draw me into a dependence more and more on Jesus? Would you take just a moment right now to close your eyes, to ask those questions? to open your hands, to receive the Spirit, to let God do the new work in your heart.
Holy God, we lay our lives before you. Not because anything is unseen, but because we want you to illuminate what is true. Not only of our words, but of our hearts from which they flow. Holy Spirit, would you convict where there needs to be conviction? Would you comfort where we need comfort? Would you encourage where we need encouragement? Holy Spirit, do your work now to reshape our hearts so that the words that overflow from them give life rather than take it away. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.